So we just got done recording an episode with Donna and JK from who held and essentially ran the entire Duskin three gun memorial match. And I kind of want to do a different take. Uh, I'm going to ask you, Frank, if you could kind of summarize your thoughts, feelings, and emotions of everything that you just heard and kind of describe it to the listeners. Yeah, sure thing, Matt. So if you guys are looking at the runtime for this podcast, it's a long one because there's a lot of content. We usually talk to shooters about themselves and the goals that they're setting and the matches they go to and how they got to where they are. Uh, this is a little different. So Donna and JK are shooters, and it's very clear that three-gun community means a lot to them and that the Duskin match is kind of the pinnacle of what makes three-gun great, of what makes the special forces community great. Um, the ability for entire community to band together and to commemorate a very special individual who held competitive shooting in a very high regard. Um, so like I said, like obviously three-gun means a lot to you, Matt. A lot of your uh, friends are through three-gun. Uh, JK got his introduction to Dusk in 2018. Donna met her husband through three-gun. So um, a lot of that comes through. And I think it's also important to note that like, yeah, we want to get people like this on because they're the ones – they, they're creating like they're creating the entry for people like more people to get into three gun but also these like these these memories that you guys will look back on like hey th this match was great um the shirt design's great and uh just bringing people together and delivering a solid match for a very good reason um those kinds of people whether in uspsa or three gun or whatever shooting discipline you might be in those are the ones that are really like pulling that community together. Um, so I know that was a lot, but it's a long episode and you can clearly tell that JK and Donna are two individuals that care a lot about what they do and want to put together uh, an awesome product. And by all means, it sounds like they did. And you guys made me really jealous that I wasn't able to shoot that match. No, I appreciate that. And Listeners, I hope you really enjoy this. Uh, I got a lot out of it just listening to it from the selflessness, not only from JK and Donna, but also the bravery of a fallen service member, uh, Mike Duskin. So enjoy. This is Matt Gunlock from the 3GIQ podcast. I'm joined here today with my co-host, Frank Gao. And then I have two very special guests. I have Donna Aberly and I have JK Khan. This episode, I'm really excited to do because it's kind of the coming back of the Duskin three-gun match. Um, before we really start getting into the, that match itself and going over the history of it and why it's so special... Donna, can you start out by introducing yourself and then JK, whenever she's done, can you tell us about yourself as well? 
Um, so thanks, Matt. Uh, Donna Everly. Um, I uh, I live currently in Ashburn, Virginia, though I tried to convince my husband, Will, many years that we should be in North Carolina. Um, I actually have kind of a weird background as far as with shooting. Um, grew up in New Jersey, moved to Virginia Beach. Um, I was working for, uh, I've my entire career, I've been doing tactical you know, sales to the military. And in 2013, I was working for a company, Electric Fuel Battery, and we were at a trade show um, down at Fort Bragg. And prior to this, I didn't grow up in a family that hunted. I never ha had been exposed to firearms at all, never even seen one in person. Um, so after this trade show, Bragg, uh, there was a range day and it was over at Frankie McRae's um, PSR 37. And they had uh, what they kind of advertised as a green beret helping out new shooters. And some hanging out and it's Clay Martin is helping, you know, people who haven't shot before. And at some point he pulls me aside and says, would you want to learn how to shoot? Which not knowing you're like, okay, what's this guy's angle? Like, this is really creepy. Um, but my boss ended up, you know, being protective, vetted him and, you know, they're like, no, he's, he's a stand-up guy. So flash forward, um, from there, I started hanging out at some local matches. I was always back and forth between Virginia beach and Bragg for work. Um, actually learned how to shoot for the very first time. I was very fortunate from Clay and Eric Eckhart, um, tagged along to a couple matches, uh, Eventually met my now husband, Will Everly, who retired out of third, um, was just welcomed with open arms in the community, um, got spoiled shooting out at Damon Woodall's place with his fancy. Uh, Good old Tar Heel three gun. Yep. Precision rifles. And then I remember when I um, finally got my first rifle, my Barnes. Um, which is still the one and only one I use to this day. I remember opening the box and being like, where is everything? Because I'm used to shooting Woody's, you know, tricked out thing. And I really honestly thought I'd ordered the wrong thing. Um, I shot my first three gun in 2015. It was the Tar Heel match. Um, more than the sport, I fell in love with the community. Um, it's how I met my best friends. It ultimately led to me meeting my husband. Um, I can't say enough about it. And so you know, taking on Dustin three gun and being able to promote that has been an honor. That's, that's pretty much my story. JK. Hey, so, um, Jonathan Kahn, I go by JK. Um, it's kind of a long story, not really long, story, but, um, that's what I end up going by. Uh, grew up mainly most of my time in North Carolina and Texas. Um, I was born in Virginia, but my mom was from North Carolina. So that's kind of what brought us here. And then my dad, a lot of his family was in Texas and then, when they split up, when I was like nine, I kind of just bounced back and forth from both. Um, but predominantly here in North Carolina, as far as occupation, um, you know, before I joined the Army, I, I worked uh, with Walmart Distribution Logistics for a while, but been Army for 17 years. Uh, spent about six of that in the infantry and then been in Special Forces, the Green Beret, for about going on 10 years now, um, 10 or 11 years, 11. Uh but as far as how I got into three gun, actually the Duskin 2017 Duskin was my first match I ever shot. Um, 
I think that he actually went back on the practice score and looked that year. I shot at uh, Carolina Three Gun, which is Zeus City Armory now. Out there, a good group of guys. Um, and then I shot at Tar Hill Three Gun, Woody's. And then I think 2018, 19, 18, I shot the Duskin again that year, which was the last year it was held. And then um, shot two more times that year out at Carolina Three Gun. And then 2019, I think I shot one match. And then I was deployed most of that year in Syria. And then um, really after that, you know, it was just kind of something I tried to do. I loved it. 2017, I fell in love with it whenever I shot it, the the, the Duskin. Um, and it was one of the things I really just didn't have a lot of time because I was on a team uh, then. And then uh, around 2020, right there at the beginning when I got back, it was right kind of when COVID hit. Um, you know, I basically started going through my divorce. And then that same week, they basically pulled me off my team to go be a first sergeant, which I left kicking and screaming. And then, uh, you know, it was a lot of life changes all at once. And then I kind of found myself with a lot of time and not knowing what to do with it. And then, um, so, you know, like, and then I was dealing with a lot of other stressors in life too, but basically I turned a three gun at that point. I was like, Hey, I've always wanted to do this. I got the time now to do it. Um, and at first it was like, for me, it was like, I just, you know, I'm competitive. A lot of us are, you know, they're in, um, in my occupation, uh, you know, or just the military in general. So for me, it was like, how good can I get, you know? And so that's what I turned to. And then it went from, you know, wanting to compete then like kind of like donna said fall in love with the community um honestly all the friends that i have now are because of the sport and getting in a three gun like you know hutch um jason byerly chris brower like just all those like everybody you know um donnie flo dave harris freaking mitch cox like you you know i've met all all you guys through three gun so um you know and just after that it's just been a wild ride it's pretty much all I do in my spare time now. So now yeah. you're right. The community, I've never met a community as awesome as the three gun community. Tactical games community has great people. Um, and I love them too, but I'll always revert back to my roots of the three gun cr crew. Um, especially like Chris, Chris Hutchinson, Chris Brower and Jason Byerly, just all around solid people. And I love them to death. Um, so let's start out with this because this is about the Duskin match. But before we can talk about the Duskin match, we need to talk about who Mike Duskin is. Donna, if you could um, please talk mm -hmm. about that. Um, so funny, funny enough, I guess really word for it. I never had the opportunity or honor to meet Mike. Uh, and I sometimes forget that just through my involvement with this, the Dusk and Three Gun, which I think says we must be doing something right. If you can be a part of this and get the sense that you knew him. Um, so a lot of what I know from Mike is from other people and largely from my husband. So kind of picked his brain on his, um, background, uh, with Mike, uh, which I'd like the opportunity to share. I'll try to, it's, it's unpacking a lot of years. Um, so I'm gonna try to uh, consolidate, but basically Mike, obviously in stature was a giant of man. He was six, seven, 300 pounds, also a phenomenal shooter. Uh, he finished out his enlistment with Ranger Regiment and transitioned to SF National Guard. He deployed with them after 
Uh, after that deployment, he decided to go back to active duty where he joined third group. Um, besides a short stint as an instructor at the JFK Special Warfare Center, he spent the rest of his career in third. Uh, he was killed October 23rd, 2012 in Wardak, Afghanistan, chasing down three insurgents and uh, legendary last words radio where I'm putting rounds up their asses. Um, he has you know, survived wife, Maggie, three kids who, you know, come out to the match. Uh, and, you know, if you've ever met Maggie, Lexi, Nate, or Jake, you know, they, you're instantly family with them. I uh, imagine, you know, Mike was the same way. Uh, so my husband, Will, uh, first met Mike and, and everything, you know, we say about the three gun community my husband had the exact same experience. And so this kind of echoes that, but he met Mike at the 2009 Fort Benning match. It was Will, his very first time shooting three gun. Um, up until then he started shooting competitively, mostly USPSA, but right before starting the Q course, he decided to give three gun a shot. Um, he was actually squatted with Mike and Jeff Gerwich. And funny enough, Mike actually DQ'd about halfway through that match. But what really struck Will was what a great sport he was. He stayed through the match, stayed with his squad, offering support, advice, resetting, which is something that we all know sometimes experienced shooters kind of forget. Um, but Mike wasn't above that. Uh, obviously, first impression is, damn, this guy is huge. Um, he had a low, deep voice, seemed imposing, but you, you know, immediately his friendly demeanor just put you at ease. Um, it his the warmth especially came through when he was doing something he loved like shooting or working out um and it was you know will says it was sf guys like mike who he met in his early days of competitive shooting who actually solidified his desire to go into sf another one of those guys was tongue win who we've also honored at matches in the past um you know he would run into tongue at matches uh and as a young infantry officer there were all these people who shaped him, who he didn't recognize at the time, but are legends in the shooting community. Uh, he said Pat McNamara used to hand him full 1911 mags at matches because, you know, when Will only had two mags for his 1911. And um, during another match, one of the guys trying to help him clean up his reloads ended up being Kyle Lamb. So he was super fortunate that his experience in the shooting in SF communities were shaped by some of the most legendary shooters. Um, so Will went to the Q course, realized quickly how little shooting was, you know, they actually got to do during qualification. They started a little informal gun club with other guys who were going through the Q course where they would shoot local, local matches on the weekend. Um, he graduates, goes to third group, immediately deploys. Uh, when he checks into third group, he meets the battalion commander, tells him he's going to 3113, and he finds out his warrant is going to be Mike Duskin. Uh, so obviously it was great to have a known face. Uh, Mike was super supportive in helping him figure out what to pack and provided a lot of good advice. And one of the first funny stories he tells me, which I think kind of captures Mike, is um, Will shows up. He's super excited. He's officially a soft guy. He can have a couple of zone tough boxes, which was, you know, a huge improvement from infantry. Um, so Will shows up with two tough boxes worth of stuff. Mike has four, plus a whole bunch of other cases of shit and 200 pound dumbbells. 
which now Will is finding himself having to lug these dumbbells as they fly on multiple planes and having to palletize and unpalletize their stuff. And the whole time Will's thinking, holy shit, do we not have gym equipment? And who is using these anyway? When they get to where they're going, Will's detachment commander meets another giant guy, uh, Doug Floyd. And Mike tells Doug, hey, I brought us an extra set of 100-pound dumbbells. And that's when Will realized it was an extra set. They <laughs> already had some there. And Doug just replied, great thinking. Now we won't have to wait. So, I mean, that just kind of, which is, you know, Mike's love of, you know, all things working on in fitness is something, you know, we've kind of played with as far as honoring in the match. But, um, you know. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes. JK. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so obviously there were a ton of, there's a ton of other SF guys who are also great shooters um, who, you know, unfortunately died in combat. So it's not like Mike's the only one, but what set him apart in creating this match was how much he encouraged guys to improve themselves through competitive shooting. Um, one of the points Mike made that sticks with Will is early on, you've got a lot of SF guys who on patrol don't necessarily bring their pistol with them. Um, they'll bring the rifle just because that's what they're more comfortable with. And they view their pistol, especially on dismounted ops is just extra weight. Um, but Mike had this saying that a pistol and grenade are two tools that when you need them, nothing else will suffice. And Will didn't know any better. So he took him up on that. And it, those are two, two things that he's used several times in critical moments. Uh, one of which uh, Matt, if you want to go into this dump truck. Yes, issue. please. <laughs> Perfect example of the of this importance. Um, so the dump truck op, I've heard about it even before I met my husband. Um, it's always this kind of weird folk legend. Um, you know, you don't always get the whole story, but it's like people speak about it, you know, as this big thing. And it was actually stage one, right, Jack? It was... One this year was based off. No, it's state. Page one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was so, yeah, started in the back of the box truck. Um, yeah. That was kind of like me paying homage, uh, you know, to that, that op. So here's the dump truck op. So basically, their team decides to conduct a recon of a Taliban controlled area. Um, they decide to use a small blue dump truck that was kind of, you know, common in that part of the area. And they decide they're going to get close by disguising themselves. So if you can imagine you have um, an interpreter from Kandahar who's driving. The plan is Will's going to be up front. You know, Will doesn't immediately scream American in his look. So they decide he'll be up front dressed as a chai boy. And... <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't really hard to pull off. Um, then the plan was you'd have Mike and Johnny Rogers, also a massive dude in the back posed as Afghan women. Now you can imagine a challenge here is finding burkas to fit these two giant dudes. Um, so one of the funny things the interpreters recounted is, you know, he's in town trying to get, you know, procure these burkas. And the shopkeeper's just laughing at him, saying, you know, about his basically his affinity for very large women um, as he's trying to get burkas for these, 
over six foot tall dude. So Mike and Johnny end up in the back under burkas and Derek Cooley and the SOT A are under tarp. Um, basically during the op, they get stopped at the Taliban checkpoint. Um, they realize they've been soft compromised. And as things escalate, the team opens fire, kill five of the Taliban at the checkpoint. Um, the plan was that anyone killed would be, um, you know, as they're trying to figure out what are they going to do with them? Mike's like, we'll just chuck them in the truck. No big deal. Like, throw them in the truck. I got it. Don't worry. Well, these ta- particular Taliban um, guys were huge, like oh, nearly obese. So if you can imagine this picture, Mike and Dareth are trying to throw these guys in the back of the truck. Their pants have fallen down. There's nothing underneath. They are tr- struggling in these burkas to get these guys in the back of the truck. And essentially, Mike's biggest obstacle is trying not to get genitals in his face. So um, the the op the team got in trouble for it, um, but it was kind of swept under the rug. And you know, all of these elements kind of add to this mystique and, and legend um, amongst guys in third group. And uh, at Spalk, Clay Martin would use the story when teaching pistol, uh, again, pointing out the importance. And it's funny because Will ended up, he, his primary weapon in that was pistol, just as Mike kind of almost foreshadowed. And, and Clay, when he was teaching at Spalk, was you know, also trying to hit home the importance of you know, your pistol as a weapon that's really used. It would tell, tell a story. And when he told it, I don't know if you know Clay Martin, but he would always, as it got to the story's climax, say, surprise, cockbags, the <laughs> quote from Team America. And um, that was actually something I mentioned to JK when we were talking about this, but, you know, for obvious reasons that uh couldn't really use that as the stage name. But if you know Clay, you can kind of, you hear him saying that in your head. Um, so basically that was the dump truck op. Um, and then for Mike, you know, they deployed in August 2012. They were clearing out the Chalk Valley. Riley Stevens had just been killed, so they were even more motivated to get out there. Um, they went and linked up with a couple other ODAs. It was the first time doing a multi-commando op. Will was two kilometers down the valley from where Mike was. And he remembers hearing of the radio that Mike had gotten hit and the call for the medevac. Um, so, you know, Will and then fly out to Firebase Shank and... He remembers when he gets when he gets there, everyone just assumed Mike was wounded. Um, Will asked one of the B team guys, you know, how he's doing, and he found that he had passed. And I think what was pretty telling is, you know, for Will and most of the guys, Mike was this giant, like larger than life, lethal, fearless, seemingly indestructible dude who had done hundreds, maybe even thousands of missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. And for these guys who, you know, young SF guys who you know, feel invincible. It was such a gut punch, punch to your sense of immortality um, or your sense of your mortality. Um, you know, Mike's death really shook all of them with the thought that if it could happen to him, it could happen to anyone. So when they get back, um, you know, they wanted a way to honor Mike. Um, they were basically told, what do you guys want to do? It's impossible. You'll never get approval. It'll never happen being able to hold a match on post, which of course motivated them even more. Uh, so the first, and Matt, do you want to just 
go right into just the first yes. match. Yes. So to summarize, um, first match was in 2013 and it was Will and Eric, Eric Eckhart. 90% um, of the effort, which doesn't seem to change much each year, is focused on getting three-star approval for it to happen. Uh, they had about 70 shooters. There were five stages. And it's funny because it ended up almost like a potluck, like, hey, bring your own item for the prize table. There was some like demo stuff from you know, some of the Surefire guys, like just, you know, haphazard kind of bring things to share. Um, the match always had a memorial aspect to it, whether it was each stage honoring an individual or a group. Um, and then 2015, Jim Rooney, who was Mike's um, team sergeant when he was killed, and Eric Eckhart again, um, you know, it happened, it was followed up in 2015. Uh, that year, Will went out to SHOT Show and was trying to actually, like, get some sort of organization with the prize table. And then that's, by that point, 2015 was the first match I attended. Uh, it was freaking freezing. Uh, I was helping with registration and fell in love with the event and just you kind of leave with on this high um that you just want every day to be dusk and match day um so in 2016 will kind of asked if i wanted to help take over sponsorship i was already in the industry talking to a lot of these people uh you know there was also a sense of you know having activity people you know wanting to make that separation um, with, you know, civilian soliciting sponsorship. So I agreed to take it over. Uh, Will, I inherited his three business cards and like a <laughs> four contact spreadsheet. And um, Ben Blanton was the match director that year and the year following. And then in 2018, we had TJ, uh, Nate Schuler and TJ. And um, 2017 was interesting. It was, a, the match was a month after our wedding. So that was an interesting year. <laughs> But um, yeah, it was 2016 is when I took over as being, you know, heading up match sponsorship and I have done it ever since. And I told JK, my intent is as long as I'm physically able to, nothing's really going to get in my way. It's always priority one. No, oh, that's beautiful. I appreciate that. Um, so you guys have already kind of went into like why, what makes this match so special? It's a commemoration of a larger than life person. And we'll get into the stage designs later. It sounds like you guys try to honor like specific moments of his history through the stage designs. Um, Wanna actually like ask a question directed at JK. Um, you mentioned that your first introduction to three gun was in 2017. Did you see, and now you, you, you shoot quite regularly. Um, do you think that this most recent match had the same effect on some of those shooters that came out for the first time and that you might have like a new cadre of guys who are like getting into three gun now? Uh, oh yeah. hundred um, percent. You know, after, you know, afterwards leading up to it, anytime, anything you do, you know, you, you put your best foot forward, but you always, you know, you always want feedback. You know, I was concerned, you know, it's been four years since the match happened. You know, I didn't want to be that guy that ruined the Duskin. <laughs> and, you know, I wanted and I really wanted to, you know, honor the match for what it was and then pay forward, you know, for what it did for me. Um, you know, I, I said it at the match. My uh, was given the opening remarks, you know, the opening ceremonies both days. And um, you know, I was like, if you'd asked me in 2017, 
or told me that I'd be running the the Duskin in 2022 and bringing it back after a four year hiatus, you know, I would have told you you were full of shit. Um, but you know, I was hoping, you know, leading up to it and then, then, you know, the day of the match happening that it would have that effect. And after that, like undoubtedly I can say 100% because I've gotten feedback from guys on my social media. Um, you know, guys have hit me up on the emails. Like I still check the emails for the, you know, that set up for the Duskin, um, you know, we're thinking about doing like a second order of shirts, you know, if there's enough interest and, uh, and guys are like, yeah, 100% I like more shirts. And they're like, Hey, once again, you know, phenomenal match. Like, you know, this first match I've shot, I can't wait to get into it. Actually this last Saturday, um, a couple of guys that own some of the teams are like, Hey, we're going to shoot out in Hook Mills. You know, you want to come out there and shoot with us? I went out there and kind of helped them out, you know, was giving them some stuff. So, I mean, I would say unequivocally, yeah, it's, it's, it's been the same for other people. Um, and the same thing for me when I went and shot it, you know, I considered myself a good shooter. And then the first time I shot the 2017, you know, I was humbled. Um, and I actually had someone that sent me the same exact, you know, response. They were like, Hey, yeah, like some more shirts, great event, great match. Um, it was humbling, but can't wait to do a lot more this year. And then, you know, continue to get into the sport. So, um, you know, I would say, yeah, it was cheap. And I, you know, that was the goal I wanted, but I didn't think it would hit as many people as, you know, as it did. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for that. Yeah. It's great that you guys are providing that Avenue for people to get into competitive shooting. North Carolina is such a great scene. So I started yeah. shooting when I was in California and it actually wasn't terrible out there. Um, I just had to show up to my first match and realize that no one actually followed the laws. And then we were fine from there. Um, but with North Carolina being so full of great matches, USPSA, three gun. Um, we've already talked about some of the things that make Duskin so special and different, the location, uh, the commemorative nature of it. What are some other things that really set Duskin apart from the other three gun matches? Is that for, um, well, in my opinion. So, oh, okay. Donna, you could go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't know if that was like a, a both question or, um, well, for one thing, yeah, like you said, Frank, obviously the fact that it's on post, um, but also, you know, obviously we, we want to memorialize the fallen, but even if you ask me what our number one goal is, paramount goal, it is to encourage guys to get into three gun, but while, and through that act, we're memorializing. So that, you know, even more is kind of our mission. There's lots of matches that are, you know, memorial, you know, memor remembering the fall fallen and honoring, but our core focus is that encouraging people because, you know, it not only makes them more effective as a soldier, but it gets into this community, which as a civilian, obviously I can only imagine that the three gun community is probably the closest you'll find to your military community. Um, and, you know, serving side by side with people. So especially as guys transition out too, um, having that community, um, you know, fall back on and another big difference is matches invite only. Uh, obviously, because there's constraints on the number of people we can accommodate, it's hard enough just, you know, getting the people we are able to invite. Um, and because, you know, these limitations increase the cool factor of the match and the exclusivity, but 
from where I stand too, it's a little limiting with the sponsors. So we can't have, you know, the, the banners, uh, tables set up. So it can't, it has to look very much like a military event and not a commercial event, uh, which is limiting, but in the same way, it, it's a good thing. Uh, so I, I like to always think of this match as more a grassroots version of, uh, of an event. And, you know, JK and I have talked exhaustively about how it's so important that it always stays that way and protect its kind of integrity and the purity of it. JK? Yeah, um, just kind of going off of what Donna said last part, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that make this match special, but uh, the grassroots portion, um, you know, it's never going to be uh, the Vortex Duskin 3-Gun and it's not that, you know, we don't, you know, respect and like really appreciate the sponsors that give, but it's, it's almost just the match. What it's, you know, what it really stands for is like, you know, memorializing Mike and the other guys, you know, that have given ultimate sacrifice, but then also just staying true to the heart of like exposing guys to the sport and, and honoring what Mike wanted. Cause that was one of the things we thought, you know, working out and getting better at shooting and competition breeds excellence. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with Donald on that one. Um, I think the other thing that makes it a lot special is, yeah, there's, you know, it's it's one of those things, there's not a lot of advertisement. You don't see it on practice score. You don't see it. You know, there's not a lot of social media. What we did create with social media, we controlled, so it wasn't getting blasted out there. And it's it's all word of mouth. But, you know, there was somebody that was out in, I think, California and was like, yeah, they had had somebody asking me, you know, about the Duskin 3-gun if I knew, you know, how to get into it and because they'd always heard about it. And it's it's weird, you know, because it's not like highly publicized, but anybody kind of deep into the to the three gun community or just the shooting community knows about it. Uh, it's been around for a while. So I think, you know, that's one of the things. The other one is, you know, it's for the military. It's really special because the way it's designed and it really it's uh, and we'll probably get in this later when, you know, uh, talking about the match director. But, you know, everything is provided. So the army guys, it's, they just show up, they can show up with their work guns, you know, unmodified. They don't have to alter them and the ammo is provided. They just show up and shoot. And it's, you know, to give them that experience of like, Hey, this is what it's like to get into, you know, three gun. And that's part of the civilian invitees too. You know, it's one to let them experience that side of it and, you know, get that taste of, you know, what we're honoring and, you know, what the community is about, but then also, you know, like Dave Steinbeck, um, uh, did a special lunchbox. Like those, I met those guys in 2017, and like, I mean, I, shoot, I think our team, like me and a buddy of mine, he was like, "Hey, you want to go shoot Duskin, you know, three guns in 2017?" And um, I was like, "What's three gun?" He's like, "You know, pistol rifle, shotgun, man." I was like, "Cool." So we actually took our, you know, short barrel shotgun to go shoot this match, and then they were like, "Dude, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna use that here. Use this." And James Benelli and I, he's like, you know, I had like shotgun shells in my dump pouch and Steinbeck was like, hey, man, use this shotgun caddy. So it's almost like a pro-am, you know, too, that makes it kind of special because, you know, these civilian invitees, they mentor and kind of help, you know, the military guys that it's a different style of shooting. Um, so I think that's one of the things that makes it special. And then, you know, in designing the stages, um, you, know, you try to use, and this is kind of more special for, I guess, being by ease, um, but actual stuff that we use um, within, you know, the military, uh, whether it's assault ladders, fast ropes, um, things of that nature. So it kind of gives it 
you know, something you're not going to see at a, a lot of other matches um, or if any at all. Um, so I think that's one of the things that really makes it there. So I, I want to add something too um, to what made it so special to me. Like, so in the, on the Marine Corps shooting team, anytime we go to matches, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to help newer shooters, help junior shooters, um, you know, and, and we go out and we teach the rest of the Marine Corps the latest innovations and the latest techniques that we learn in competition. Um, so what really made it special to me is we're on a squad with some of the biggest badasses that are out there, um, you know, and we have, you know, a lot of the civilians out there, they're very skilled and you have these SF guys that they're being introduced to the shooting sports and they are just sucking the knowledge up. They're taking everything that you teach and they are applying it on the spot. You know, your guys are instantly coachable and it, that's something that you, you rarely see. And it just makes it so much more special because as a civilian invitee, you know, you're not just, you're not just there to shoot, you know, and if you are just there to shoot, you're there for the wrong reasons. But if you really look at the purpose of the match, you're there encouraging and empowering the people that are in third group and these other SF groups, how to become better and more lethal at their jobs. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, Donna, we, we already kind of answered the next question, uh, which is your capacity, but I want you to talk about the T-shirts. Um, so <laughs> when I came on in 2016, I, there wasn't like, I'm a mar- I have a marketing uh, major and you can imagine in tactical sales that doesn't get to be used a lot. So any chance in my life I have to do anything sort of creative, I'm all about that. Um, uh, so in 2016, I think Ben kind of had a logo as far as like the Lambda that he created that you see on the front of the shirts now, but we didn't have matched shirts. There wasn't, there wasn't really anything, um, as far as like advertising or, you know, creative side. So I remember like, oh, you know, shirts and, you know, coming up with what, what could be a logo with something you know, something that can kind of be carried on from year to year. And, you know, I proposed kind of put together, um, granted, I don't know Photoshop. So this is like using word and paint, um, this logo of, you know, I saw there's a, some art of, or graphic design of, you know, a lumberjack punching a bear and that sparked the original idea. And so each year, basically taking that image of that we turned from lumberjack to Mike into some, you know, kind of pitch, we'll, we'll pitch, I'll pitch a couple different ideas to the guys, but it's always the idea that he, you know, Mike's beating up this formidable beast. Um, I had no idea that it would, you know, get the response the shirts have. It's awesome. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want anything to ever take away from the match, but it's cool how it's kind of, helped augment you know that mystique and that legendariness of it um so yeah apart from sponsorships that was something i brought on in 2016 um that i'm super proud of and and glad that 
it's something that makes the match even more memorable. So let's go through the history of the shirts. The <laughs> first year you had the lumberjack punch and the bear. Yep, it was in Mike and the Bear. And then 2017 was T-Rex, Mike and the T-Rex. And then I, you know, the, the hard thing is we never know 100% if the match is going to happen the next year because who wants to step up and be the match director because, you know, it's pretty rare to get a repeat one once you really experience the full weight of that job. Um, as JK can attest. Uh, so it's kind of tricky because, you know, we don't, I'm like, do I want to hold on my car? You know, I have an idea for the next shirt, but what if the match doesn't happen? Do I just go ahead and do it now? It's, I don't even know where, I couldn't tell you where it came from, but it was the unicorn punch, which seemed to be a big hit. And that was, that was beautiful. <laughs> I want one of those shirts. <laughs> oh, don't taken care of. And then when it came back this year, one of my biggest stresses that kept me up at night, everyone kept, how are you going to top the uniform? How are you going to top the uniform? I'm like, ah, you know, so it was, that was an incredible amount of pressure. Um, I'm happy with our outcome. I don't know if we top the uniform, if it's possible to top a uniform, but, um, you know, and it, the only scary thing about continuing on is, is for me, it's always this, the damn shirts, like gotta get, you know, be better. <laughs> I, I, I'd honestly say uh, it's there. Like that this, this year's design was there because you took something that is current events mm -hmm. and you just, you ran with it and it worked. It was beautiful. I'll Thank tell you, you now, it was, uh, we had it down to really two good ones. We're not going to, we're not even talking about what the other one was. Uh, Cause I told Donna, like next next year's shirt because mm. back and forth for a while i mean there's and i'll tell you this like i didn't even know donna before this started um and then i mean it was like the last three months like her and i would be on the phone till like midnight sometimes even later mm. just going spreadsheets talking like on the phone and you know the shirts was probably one of the biggest topics because yeah i mean you just how do you top the unicorn throwing up a rainbow <laughs> um so that, got to get this right. Uh, so there's a lot of sleepless nights for that shirt. <laughs> so JK, this being the first time you served as a match director and running such a special match, can you describe the emotions you have from the entire experience and from every, all the help that you've gotten? Man. Um, if I had to pick one, one word to be whirlwind. Um, so I think, I think for really for you to understand, like for me, the experience, the, the emotions, you know, and just everything that I experienced leading up to it, you kind of got to understand like why the Duskin is so important to me. Like when I first shot the Duskin, you know, I love to shoot. I love to work out. I'd always heard about Mike. I was on 3113. Um, I was fortunate enough to like never go to SWIC and spend my whole entire like ODA time on the same ODA for almost 10 years. Uh, and it was all in 3113. Um, so, I, you know, I heard a lot about Mike and like I, it's you, you can attest from it from the, uh, the jacket steel stage. I love to lift weights and I love to shoot. So it's like, you know, my, like I never met Mike, but like, that's my kind of dude. Um, and so, you know, I shot the 17 and just loved it. You know, I love to shoot, you know, love the kind of like lifting weights and, you know, and I fell in love with the sport. And um, like I said, I didn't get to do it very much. So, you know, I went, we had a pretty rough deployment towards the end. It was just not really like kinetic, 
but it was just really stressful and I'm not gonna really get into that. But you know, I came back and like as I said before, with all in like a week time, I like hopped into my divorce. And for me, I loved being on ODA. It was the most, you know, most important thing, you know, other than my family that, you know, I had in my life. Um, so that was a very, very tough transition for me going from being, you know, on a team with eleven brothers to now finding myself sitting in an office, you know, alone. Um you know, and that whole dynamic really, it, it was a rough transition. And then dealing, you know, with also, you know, me splitting, you know, with my, my wife. And then, like, you know, I don't hide it anymore. I'm very vocal about it. You know, and then I started to know some things that, like, my daughter and, like, my ex-wife would always bring up, you know, like, hey, you know, you should maybe go talk to somebody here and there. And then, you know, I started realizing, like, hey, there's some truth to that. And, like, just experienced a lot of, like, depression and anxiety. And so, I, you know, I turned to Three Gun. That was like my therapy so to speak so to speak um and there, like you know and i went through a pretty tough time even when i started shooting from 2020 to really about maybe like august of last year um you know i dealt with a lot of different things and the sport you know really helped me come through that so it was a very special match my shot in 17 because it's like wow this is great but then you know i don't know where i would be at if it wasn't for three gun because that's what i turned to when i really didn't have much else going for me and then like all the friends i have now like i said are from the sport um so you know i really got heavy into it um into three gun and you know so that you know what it what it did for me you know meant a lot and then knowing that the duskin was gone i really got tied in with some uh, charity organizations and i met maggie uh in december of 20 actually right before um you know 2021 Obviously, 20 comes from 21. But anyway, the guy that I met in the work for the organization was like, hey, I want you to meet Maggie and Maggie Duskin. I was like, oh. And then so he he kind of like put the bug. He was like, yeah, you know, JK's first starting up at HHC group, you know. And then I got talking to her about, you know, the Duskin and because I didn't really know how it worked. And, you know, I was like, well, maybe I can like try to like, you know, where I'm at, I've got some influence. Maybe I can see about getting this started. And, um, you know, so I started like bugging him, prodding up at, you know, group about it and you know finally i started really pressing the issue now i like i said i was dealing with a lot of like personal stuff um you know and so one i really didn't know if i was like you know prepared to even like do this if i was in like you know the right place um you know because then i was just like you know I, I once i committed this i can't pull out and really it wasn't catching a lot of traction but i you know pushed it and pushed it and pushed it and finally like two months went by and finally the you know, the group CSM came, he's like, Hey, do you, are you, do we run the dusk? And I was like, absolutely. 100%. This was in August. Um, and then, so that's when I met Ben Blanton. So anyway, you know, then it was like really started feeling some pressure. Cause I was like, Oh wow. You know, but it was so far off. I really didn't, didn't kind of sink in just yet, you know? And then I remember going to Benning to shoot the multi-gun there in uh, 2021. And um, I think that's when I started getting approached by like, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, they've been in the community for a while, like, hey, we heard you're running the Duskin. And um, so there was a lot of, like, what did I get myself into? Um, you know, kind of like, I've never, you know, directed a match before. I've been to a bunch, you know, but there's there's a lot that goes into that, um, which, you know, we can get into later if you want. And so honestly, I was kind of intimidated. I was like, um, like, oh, man, like, I, like, maybe I'm got myself into something that i'm not prepared for but you know it's always that's just it's in me to be like all right well you know whatever i'm gonna put the best foot forward and get 100 percent and then i know what i don't know 
you know, I'm not afraid to admit. So I'll find people that do know it. I'm, you know, pretty well tied into the community too. So, you know, I knew who to turn to, um, you know, and I have a lot of friendships built. So leading up to it, man, it was a lot of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like, I got to get this right. Um, It's been four years. And so when I finally got the okay to do it, I called Maggie and um, it was more of a courtesy and respect thing. It was like, hey, Maggie, look, I've been given the green light to bring this match back. And, um, you know, I just want to just ask for your blessing. And, you know, are you, you know, are you okay with that? You know, me running it. And then she was like, absolutely. You know, and then at this point, I had already, you know, did my homework, saw what the calendar was for range 65. Um, and, you know, went ahead and narrowed down the dates when it made sense, you know, when there weren't any classes going on out there. And so she asked me, she was like, hey, JK, well, you know, do you have a time frame? You know, I was like, yeah, I've already got the land you know, locked in and everything. Um, so that way, if you're, you know, you're good with it, we can do it. She's like, Oh, when is it? I was like, June 10th and 11th. She was like, what? And so I, you know, she kind of set it away. It was like, is something wrong? You know, but then she kind of did it way. I was like, is, you know, I asked her like, is there something wrong? She was like, that's my birthday, June 10th. And she was like, that would make me so happy to see this match come back on my birthday. That's the best birthday present ever. So now you can imagine already feeling, intent- you know, like I'm in over my head, like, Oh God, like I really have to get this right. And then, you know, she was like, and it being the 10 year, you know, not on the exact date, but pretty much the 10 year anniversary of him passing. So there was just a lot of expectation, um, you know, leading this, like everybody wanted the shirt to be awesome. Everybody wanted the match to be like they remembered it. And so it took me a little while to really, you know, curtail all that. And I would say leading up to it was fine because it was all just backside planning, like making sure the paperwork was good. Range control was fine. The command was good just talking to Donna, like I was helping her a lot, like, cause you know, she was like, Hey, it's been a while, you know, what are some companies that are out there now? And so you know, I was kind of feeding her you know, different companies, trying to get her contacts for them. And then, you know, then it came time. I was like, okay, now I really need to start thinking about stages and like the match itself. Um, and then for a while, that was a little bit, you know, daunting, um, trying to actually plan something. I learned a lot. Uh, and, you know, Jason Byerly, you know, I, because I designed a lot, you know, the stages, but then he came out there and was like, all right, man. And believe it or not, like the jacking still got toned down a lot <laughs> from what it When you end, you have to tell us what it, what it was going to be. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into that. And um, so, you know, and, and for a while, you know, first I was like, man, maybe I should just bring somebody in to, you know, and I even asked, I even told Jason, I was like, hey, man, will you design the stages? And then as it started getting closer, I was like, you know, I was like, I got this, man. You know, this is the one chance I got. Like, I want to make this what it is, you know, because it gave me so much in my life. And I was like, I just want to, I want to honor Mike. I want to, you know, give these guys an experience. So, you know, so after that, you know, I just took, went into a full wind and was just like, all right, you know, I'm going to get this. And at that that point, I, you know, I would say I kind of built my confidence up over the time leading up to it. And then really the last like four weeks, man, was just me running. Um, I mean, I was out there maybe like the last two weeks, maybe 19 hours a day. I'd get out there as soon as the sun was up, building stuff, getting stuff. I, you know, I had people out there helping me too. Um, and then right when it got dark, I'd head over to the office and then get on the phone with Donna and we started doing it. And I would say leading up to it, you know, it was just a lot of anxiety. Um, but I'll tell you, when that first round went off that Friday, 
it was the most rewarding and just like best experience I could, I could imagine. I'm not gonna lie, leading up to it, I was a little bummed I wasn't getting to compete in it um, and actually shoot it. But then, like, at, when it actually started happening, I was like, this this is the best feeling ever. Um, and it was, I don't know, humbling, rewarding, just, it was awesome. Um, and I mean, it was really emotional, too, because I just sat there and I was like, you know, to hear everybody, too, their, their positive feedback. And, you know, that was my biggest thing was just being able to give back what this sport has given to me. And I feel like I was able to achieve that. Um, and I, it was, you know, it was very emotional, you know, uh, Donna, thanks to her, I, I teared up quite a bit <laughs> there at the very end. Um, but yeah, I would say up there with like, you know, seeing my kids born and stuff like that, it was one of the most rewarding experiences in my life. Um, you know, I plan to do it again next year, which would be my last year, you know, being able to do it just because of where my career path is going. Um, but it's, you know, if it's the only one I got to do is this year, like, I'll never forget it. It holds a special place in my heart. It really does. Well, I think I can answer for everybody in saying thank you. And you did do an amazing job. Everything was perfect. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, it means a lot. I, I had a lot of help, though. Like, you know, I, I don't – guys keep beating me over the head. Like, you did, you were the match director. But, like, it wouldn't have been what it was without the help that I received. So, like, I can't take all that credit. Um Really can't. Yeah, just like everything else with the three gun community, this match is like a community effort. I mean, Matt never met you before. I'm like, uh, help, I've got a lot of stuff at the prize table. It's not gonna fit in. And he's like, Oh, I can come get some. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You come in my house, no problem. Like, not even a second guess. And just people are just coming out of the woodwork to help. Local stores doing, you know, displays for prize stuff, and it's just another testament to the community in general. And, you know, JK's story, you know, cause I don't really ever know what I'm gonna get with the match director. And, um, you know, I knew he felt a lot of pressure, but from the first conversation we had and he kind of went into what the sport and the community has meant to him, like any anxiety I might've had about someone who hadn't been the match director before, it was gone. I knew that no matter what it took, if you're passionate about making the match happen, you'll find it. You'll figure out a way. And so I just, I knew however he got there, it was going to be amazing. And I mean, that's all the match really requires. And I know I speak for JK that to be a part, like to be, to shoot the match is cool. Super cool to be a part of it's, you know, it actually happening. It's like, you hit the lottery. It's so much work and the most work like you ever do, but it's like, you, I will always feel honored that I just stumbled into this and so privileged to have any small part in, you know, in it happening each year. No, thank you. Thank you both. Yeah, I'll say, uh, meeting Donna, like, she's, oh, like, there'd be some nights I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, like, I didn't think about this. And then Donna would be like, oh, I already got that covered. And I'm like, oh, all right, thank God. <laughs> it's funny how much we talked, and then I get out to the range on Wednesday, and I'm like, are you JK? Are you JK? Like, I feel like we're practically married at this point, and I've never <laughs> met the guy. I guess it's like what online dating is like these days. I don't know. <laughs> but you, I mean, truly, I told him, like, you're bonded for life. This, like, match director um, sponsorship role, it's like, I... Again, 
civilian, but I suppose it's like as close as I could get to having like gone through battle with someone because in many ways it, it is. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm already having withdrawals. I'm like, maybe we should schedule like a weekly call because I kind of, I'm so used to talking on the phone at all hours. But again, it's these relationships through the, I mean, the community, like Matt, we've talked a handful of times. Like, yeah. I mean, and, it's just, that's the way it goes. <laughs> and I know me, you and Will are pl- going to plan on going up to a match somewhere up in this area at some point. Absolutely. I better get an invite. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so you guys have already touched upon this uh, support from the community, but could you tease out some of those like key relationships that really helped make this match happen? And it can be anywhere, be external within the military chain of command. Donna, we'll start with you. Um, on my side, um, so you've got a couple of different aspects. So the prize table, um, our sponsors, you know, obviously by sponsoring the match, you're getting, you know, you're, you're right about there. You get to say you supported the Duskin. Um, you get a great group of a very focused audience to see your product. But at the same time, we can't do a lot of marketing, can't all the things that other that you get from other matches. And, you know, obviously all these companies, when they look at their budgets each year, there's limitations and they need to see what, you know, is the most return on investment that they're going to get. And I go through the same thing every year when I find out the match is going to happen. I freak out. Um, but every year we always, it always comes through and exceeds the years before. Um, to be in the position where you have sponsors reaching out to you saying, Hey, can I support the match? Like it doesn't get much better than that. Um, and we know that the sponsors that do support this, you know, or feel confident that they're doing it for the right reasons. And we, we try to do as much as we can. Like, you know, the guys have been amazing with some of these thank you notes they've written. Um, it could be like the next ad campaign for some of these companies. But yeah, the support from, you know, the tactical shooting community, always amazing. Um, you know, then you have individuals who just will call up and say, hey, I've got this buddy at this company. Do you need this? Um, even like you're talking to one sponsor and they're like, oh, here, I know a guy at this company. Like they, there's just this desire to help out in any way possible. Um, you know, logistically, like Matt helped with carrying some of the load down there. And I remember, you know, when he's getting ready to pull away, I'm like, all right, you've got the entire prize table in your car, you know, no pressure. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> drive careful. Um, but just, yeah, people, you know, want to be part of a good thing. And then, you know, we have individuals who step forward and pay for shirts. Um, no benefit, you know, besides a small tax write-off, like they're not, their name's not affiliated with match in any way. Um, they're not associated with a company that's going to get recognition. Um, you know, we obviously lunch was supported. Um, you know, as far as on my side, those are the most obvious things, but you, so many people offer to volunteer. It's almost to the point where we have to turn people away, you know, <laughs> when I'm about, cause it's just so many moving parts, but yeah. And JK, what about from your end as the match director? So I would say, some of the relationships are like from the army side you really just have to be willing to like push the just push the agenda really um 
you know, and I was fortunate enough to be in a position, you know, I was HHC first sergeant for a while. And then I went up to the group S3 and I was, uh, and so I see up there, the ops sergeant. And so, you know, I was tied in, I would see the group CSM on a daily basis and everyone that kind of needed, you know, to put some ass behind it, to get it sold up to hire, you know, was there. Um, and luckily like the group commander too, he used to be my battalion commander. I knew him really well. Um, so those relationships are in key and just getting it sold up to hire. Um, you know, and, and as always, make sure the match actually happens because then there's, you know, the ammo factor. It's like fortunate if I was right there with the, you know, landing ammo guys in the group S3 and operations center to be like, hey, we have this ammo. Can we get it? And then, you know, I had, I had a lot of relationships I had leverage, you know, personal on my end. And I think those were important. Maybe they're not as important, you know, when it was happening regularly, but after being a four year break and a lot of people that were familiar with the match were now either gone um, or moved on in their careers. Those were on the army side, very important, you know, for me to have, because, you know, when I educated them on what it was and how to navigate it, but then too, it, you know, it was instrumental in getting the match to even happen regardless. I'd say the relationships, you know, on kind of the civilian side, obviously Donna, 100%, <laughs> that relationship was vital. And, you know, she walked me through a lot of stuff and, uh, Help me out, but then like the guys over at Zoo City Armory, um, you know, Snappy, uh, you know, Chris Brower, um, Jason Byerly, and those guys, phenomenal. Um, and I learned so much from Jason as far as like being a match director and you know him coming out there and like he was out there a lot of days. I mean, you know, he's got his own matches he's building, you know, his monthly matches. You know, he's got a range to run, but he was out there a lot. You know, I could call him any hour of the day and be like, hey man, I was thinking about this. You know, what are your thoughts? Um, so those were really, really important. Um, and just really the three gun community and all like the outpour. I mean, I had guys like, Hey, you know, I freaking, you know, I want to RO. Do you, how do you need help? Nope. You don't need ours. Well, do you need help me to come out there and build like just everyone the outgrowing support? Um, but I would say, you know, really just everybody was important, man. And the success of that match, everyone had a hand in it to some point. Um, and if they didn't, they offered it and we just didn't need it. Um, that's just that whole grassroots thing and what makes it so special to everyone. Everyone's got a reason why it touches their heart, uh, but, but they all just helped out it you know, exponentially. Um, yeah, I was kind of went on a rant there, my bad. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I had my neighbor across the street. He was building the stands that the flags went in at each stage. I had like half the neighborhood helping me stuff prize bags, you know, shooter bags, zero hour, because for some crazy reason, I thought I was going to be able to do it on my own. <laughs> And then like two days before, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to happen. So like even up in Ashburn, Virginia, this was a community effort. Um, so, yeah, it's just. Yeah, I mean. And, it, you know, just to give you an idea of like, it, like, so I, I live on a horse farm, uh, you know, uh, rent an apartment from the owners out here and I do some work on the farm for them. And, you know, they're like in their, their late 60s, early 70s. And even they came out to the match. Um, I told them what it was about, you know, the history of it. And uh, they even asked me, they're like, hey, how can we help? And I was like, you know, Catherine is really, you know, there's nothing I really need. I was like, except if I get behind on my chores on the farm, don't, don't yell <laughs> at me. <laughs> and, you know, they actually, and I thought it was just like one of those pleasantries, you know, well, hey, let us know when the matches will come out. And they actually called me um, the day that it kicked off and was like, hey, we're on our way. Uh, where should we go? And then I was like, oh, wow. They came out there and sat like half the day. Wow. Um, you know, just, yeah. And I mean, it's really, you can't, I mean, there's a lot of people that had a hand in it, like I said, like Zoo City, um, you know, um, like John Sherbert out there, uh, Griffin Group, you know, 
And, but really it's just, everyone, you know, wants to just make sure it becomes a success and everybody. And I, I was, like I told you before, man, I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I'm very open. You know, like I said, when I was going through tough times, like I'm open about that stuff now. And you know, I know what I don't know. And so like, you know, I even told guys, I was like, I'm a little, like, I feel like I'm a little over my head. Like, you know, I really hope I'm able to pull this off. And they were like, well, dude, you've got full support from everybody. And like, mm-hmm. everybody, I mean, it was anyone and everyone that I know I've shot three gun with. Um, they're like, we're not going to, you know, if you're, you're hurting somewhere, like we'll help you. Like, but we're not going to let this fail. So I would say it was just, and that goes back to the grassroots thing. It's just everyone, you know, wants to get behind it and help it be successful. So to kind of follow up with the previous questions, uh, can you tell the listeners about your strategy with the stage design? I know we kind of touched on it, but what was your strategy? What did you want to, what was the purpose behind what you did there? So, like I said before, uh, the t-shirts were obviously a very uh, intimidating part behind the match, but after being four years of it being gone, it was like, you know, the, the dusting just has a certain, I don't know if lack of a better term, a flavor to it, like a certain feel. Um, you know, it's not like the tactical games where it's a lot of like physical stuff, but it's still a physical match. Um, you know, you shoot all six stages in one day, uh, obviously being in the summertime, that's like one thing. But then there's obviously that physical aspect. You know, obviously jacking still, that stage is always going to be more physical than the rest but there was always something involved in it that brought in a fitness aspect to it. And that's like I said, I was kind of paying that homage to Mike, you know, memorializing him, but also what he wanted was to get guys into competitive shooting because he thought it made them better at their jobs. And, you know, because it, it's, it's healthy. You know, I was talking to Nate and Nate was like, man, any of my dad would just make anything competitive, like uh, making a cup of coffee, you know, taking the crash out. It didn't matter. And, you know, he would tell me, like, he would sit on range 65 and watch Eric and Mike, you know, or his dad just go back and forth trying to shave off seconds. And um, so, you know, I – in the stage designs, you know, for one, I was like, I don't want to regurgitate everything that I've – you know, in the past two years that I've shot it because I wanted it to be its own match, you know, for that year. Um, you know, and I went back and forth. I was like, man, maybe I should do it like as – and there was even, like – for the t-shirt we even kind of thought about hey maybe we should just like do a t-shirt that kind of pays respect to all the years past and put all the you know the animals you know that he's been punching all together at once and like it went from like playing in a band you know to where i was like man maybe you should be punching all of them have one of his foot on one of their throats but you know it was so the stage designs you know it was like there was a little bit of something that i saw in those two years that i shot but then i wanted it to be its own at the same time too so i looked at you know how can I pay respect to like something that happened, you know, and that was the, the dump truck. So like, that was the reason why like in stage one, you started in the back of that box truck, you know, it's not a dump truck, but you know, it flicked it open with an AK and burned down the target. So with some of the stage designs, it was like, I want to pay respects, you know, to Mike. Um, and, you know, with that one, you know, kind of throw something in there that was, you know, a part of what he's done, you know, in his, in his legacy, his career. And then also, you know, bringing that physical aspect to it. Um, so, and then, you know, in every stage, I tried to put something that was in there. Um, and then, you know, that was also relative to like the military community. Um, so, you know, obviously with the shoot house, you know, stage one, that was, that was kind of paying respects to Mike. Um, 
you know, stage two, you kind of had the, the, you know, the tire drag, but it was one of those things where I sprinted through the house so your heart rate was up and then you got to like drag the tire. But jacking still, I mean, obviously that's just all Mike. He was a big dude, loved to lift heavy things. I love it totally get behind it. So that's, you know, where, um, where that one came into. It was just like, all right, and shooting is important, but let's test your physical ability too. Um, and then with the stage designs too, and I wanted to make sure it, it tested someone where it was all around. So like if you were a really good shooter, like, you know, professional civilian shooter, it was like, all right, well, we're going to bring you out of your, your comfort level here and also make you physically work too. So how are, you know, how is that going to affect you? And then design the stages. It was like, okay, you're all SF guys, you know, military guys, you're in great shape, but now let's test your, like your shooting ability and more of the competitive realm, you know, and pull you out of that comfort zone that you have you know, expose you to a different type of shooting, which with military guys, a lot of it's the shotgun. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. be like, we shoot rifle and pistol, but like the type of shoot, shotgun and you're shooting three guns, not the same as, you know, a um, sawed off shotgun. You're sticking up to a door handle blowing off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I tried to design the stages in that way. Um, and then just give it its own feel at the same time too, and not give stuff we see in the past. Now there was like the jacking still one of the things I loved the most, um, anybody knows me you know i love bench pressing so the, when there was that one year we had to bench press the 70 pound dumbbells so i put that in there but then the rest of the stage was you know obviously something a lot different that you didn't see in the years past um so i would say that was like the strategy with and was just trying to give its own feel still kind of you know pay homage or you know respects to this the stages in the past but then give it its, its own thing and then kind of make it where it was testing every skill level of shooter, but in a way that, you know, exposed one side that was probably weak in them. And then where they were strong at, they'd still be able to excel. Um, if that makes sense. What was the story behind the stage where they had to like cut open the zip tie? So, um, with that one, it was, uh, it was called meeting going bad or not, or no, that one was, um, not meeting going bad, but there was one like that in the past. Um, and I think it was the 2016 match um, where you basically start off your hands were flat on the table. With this mm-hmm. one, it was kind of kind of like I said, paying respects to the past match, but making this stage still like its own, you know, for this year and not regurgitating something. So it was, you know, just testing that you know ability, like you know, to break freeze, you know, shooting offhand, you know, with or just with one hand, even though you're strong. Um, and just kind of giving this own feel, but, you know, still kind of bringing back something that's happened in the past. Cause one of the things I looked at and I started to really understand, and it was kind of sad, but then it was kind of exciting was like, there's a whole new like generation of, of green berets in third group now. Um, when I started really getting into this and talking to guys, they're like, what's the dusking, you know, and, you know, or they're like, yeah, we've heard about it, but you know, I was never shot it before. And I was like, man, then it made me feel kind of old. Cause I was like, oh, wow, you know, like, you know, the, you know, a lot of us now that shot it in 2018 or, you know, moved on and not gotten out, you know, or now in like staff jobs. Um, so it was like one of those things like, you know, like I said, stuff that I saw that I really liked in the matches, but then trying to, you know, bring it in and make it its own, but still pay respects to what happened in the past. And so the guys, as they hear the stories from the past matches, they got to kind of experience it, but in its own way and style for 2022. One of the most and honestly, exciting- like we, 
don't know. And just kind of going back to it, like the match success, like, you know, all, some of all these weren't my own ideas. Like some guys like, like, oh man, like, you know, remember that one match? And so some of these ideas I won't take off myself. Like even the guy that uh, was Jay Shoff, he kind of, he gave me a similar scenario for that stage, but not the same exact one. And he even told me, he's like, man, I wasn't even about that when I was, you know, describing it to you. So it was one of those things, like, I don't take all the credit for stage designs, even though I'm the match director, but I, you know, I was receptive to input and then um, kind of used that and then just made it my own for the actual, the actual thing. But go ahead, Donna. Sorry. Oh, and just what you were saying about the next generation, I think one of the coolest things from this year was um, you guys said that there was a group of guys out there who are I mean, fresh, like brand new to the group. And there's always been this fear that as the years go on, less people are going to know about Mike and, and the match. And so it was super cool this year. We had these brand new guys. One, this is their intro to the community. Like, holy crap. And now you've got this generation who can carry on that. And, you know, it's cool to have a lot of those mission-based stages because it's also like a storytelling, you know, of that your group of these things that these guys in the past have done, um, these legends in the community. And so I think, you know, for civilians, the mission-based stage is super cool. I mean, you get to kind of play special forces for a day and, you know, for the military guys, it's like, a, you know, an homage type thing. And I think it also shows too how you can apply, like how applicable competitive shooting is, you know, that's why we always encourage teams to come out and compete together because that is so like the benefits of that it's awesome to compete as a team um in these type of scenarios so i think that was something you know, i was super excited to hear about this year especially these new guys getting to experience it you know something i'd like to add in there is you know i for a long time now i've been saying when tradition gets in the way of innovation and advancement it you're going to cripple and kill kill the people that you're serving under. Um, and, and a lot of military organizations are built up on tradition and there are certain people within the military that focus solely on the tradition. And, and it's quite frustrating, but something like this, where you're, you're bridging tradition, innovation, and lethality all into one, this is the type of tradition that we need to impart in the military because you're teaching them how to kill the enemy and you're making them better. You're training them mentally and you're, you're teaching them how to become focused. One of the things I got into shooting three gun for is the mental preparation. And I, I look at it almost as like a planning process. You know, whenever I'm planning a, 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 a raid or an attack, you know, it's very methodical. And it's very structured. When I'm planning a stage, it's very methodical and it's very structured. And so I want to get as perfect as I can be and understand that plan to where I can execute it on demand every time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on that, Matt. Um, and, you know, it's like you were talking about methodically planning. Um, you know, there's there's obviously i mean I could, there's probably some operations i've done you know i could say the same thing but i could probably you know i could probably sit here and tell you exactly my plan for the last match i shot in april which was you know zoo city's battle of the south um with the whole mental preparation piece and that's what i tell guys too like there's so many aspects to it like that's one of the things i love too is just the mental part to it um you know coming up with your stage plan and then knowing it to the t or you can regurgitate it you know two months later mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that's that that's one of the biggest things too, that I, I would tell a lot of guys to get into the sport. 
Um, and then just with like the application of shooting, like there's stuff that like I, I've, I've experienced and, you know, learned since I've been shooting, you know, three guns. I'm like, man, when I was a team guy, I really wish, you know, I would like learn this stuff and, you know, cause I could have applied it, you know, into what I was doing, you know, there when it came to like shooting and stuff like that. So agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. So when putting together these stages, did you have like a certain skill set of shooter in mind? Um, I know you had some professionals show up and you also have some guys who are completely new to three gun. And were you trying to find like a happy medium? Because if you made it too, uh, too skill heavy, I guess, that could be rather um, discouraging for some new guys. And then if you made it too new shooter friendly, then it wouldn't really be interesting for some of those uh, professional shooters. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I learned and, you know, Jason Byerly, uh, can't say enough good things about, you know, him, good friends beforehand. Um, but like one of the things I learned the most about like stage design is time. Like, I mean, obviously you don't have so much, you know, daylight. So you have to look at like, okay, how long is it going to take from the time a shooter goes up, you know, shoots the stage to you reset and your next shooter gets up. Um, so that's one of the things you got to factor in, but then also you don't want to make it too watered down where it's so simple that it really doesn't do anything. So really what I looked at was like, and I kind of alluded to this, you know, earlier in the stage designs was making it to where it involves something all around, you know, the skill level, you know, where it wasn't too easy, not too hard, but kind of middle of the road. But then also there was the physical aspect that made it difficult as well. So if you're a really good shooter, you know, you're a professional shooter, you know, I would say some of the stages you would be able to burn through them, but the physical aspect is what brought in, you know, a whole new aspect to it that made it difficult for them. Whereas now you got some, you know, military shooters to where like the physical aspect was easy to them, but you know, it's like the, you know, shooting a double Texas star, you know, is like completely different, you know, from what they're used to. Um, Cause I mean, obviously when you go into houses and stuff, your target's not spinning around very fast on you. It have eight arms. <laughs> Yeah, and it has eight arms, yeah, unless it's like squid and an alien. But um, <laughs> that was one of the things, you know, it was just making it where it was appealing to everyone, but not so lopsided. Because, like, the biggest thing that I was worried about was it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the the new bringing new shooters in. So what I didn't want is for the match, for a guy to come in there. I want, you know, it's humbling. It was humbling for me. I learned a lot when I first shot it. I timed out on two or three of the stages, but I had fun and I enjoyed it. It made me want to continue to do it more and get better. Um, so that's what I, that was one of the biggest things was like, you know, I knew I was getting a lot of new army, you know, shooters in there, uh, new guys. I wanted to make it to where I would say like, I wanted to make it where it was challenging, but it was to the point where it made them be like, you know what? Yeah. I kind of sucked. I didn't do as well, as well as I think I could if I practice, but I want to get better and I want to get into it. Um, so I didn't want to, you know, that's kind of the level I wanted to bring it at. And then I tried to, you know, I've been shooting really serious in three guns since 2020. Uh, like I said, I shot two matches a year from 17 to 19. And then in 2020, I shot, I think, 23 to 30 matches. Um, and then almost the same thing with last year. This year, I kind of took a big break just to run the Duskin. Um, but now I'm going to get back into it. But what I try to do is everything that I've seen a little bit of, I tried to implement in there because some guys are like, man, you're putting a rifle spinner in there. Like that's going to eat some dude's lunches. And I was like, yeah, but it's fun. And then like, they're like, yeah, but they're going to time out. And I was like, yeah, but if I know, you know, 
the mentality of some of these guys, you're gonna be like, all right, I need to get better at that. I want to do that. And I actually had guys come in, they're like, hey, what's the secret to that thing? Um, timing. Like the, <laughs> yeah, timing. Um, the double, you know, the double shotgun spinner. Um, some people were like, you're really gonna put that in there? like and but I what I wanted to do was expose all these guys to stuff that I've seen that I think is really cool. So that way, you know, and now some of the stuff that you haven't seen in the Duskins in the past, like a rifle spinner. Uh, you haven't seen, you know, the double shotgun spinner. Um, so that was one of the things I tried to just implement in there and, and kind of, you know, the stuff the pros would appreciate because they've seen it. It's, you know, it's even challenging for them. But then, you know, it wasn't too hard or, you know, and then it was like the newer shooters. It wasn't so easy that they just could just breeze through it, too. Um, that's just, you know, I just had to play with it, really. And like I said, I built the stages. I had I had signs and then once i started putting them on the ground that's where i was like okay this is you know gotta water this down or pull this back a little bit so like and i think you asked me this earlier you said you want to elaborate on it matt was the jacking steel stage mm-hmm. so initially the uh, and just for like the listeners that didn't get to go there so the jacking steel stage you start off with 70 pound dumbbells you had to bench press them five times drop them um slap cups always been one of my favorite things in the sport I've only done it a handful of times, you know, since I've been shooting the past couple of years, but it's where there's three cups and there's a round under the cup. You don't know which one has it and you knock it over and whatever round is there is where you run to. So like there's three different bays, one shotgun rifle pistol. So if you knock over the pistol round, then you got to run, run there. Well, you had to pick up on this stage, 45 pound kettlebells and run with them to that station. And then, you know, you had to do that to everyone you went to. Well, with that, initially you know the the cups where they were sitting at the bench and everything was only about maybe 10 to 15 yards um from all the bays where you would shoot the guns initially it was about 30 yards uh (laughs) if if no one really knows me i'm kind of a juggernaut i'm not known for my uh my intellect so to speak uh i always revert to my uh physical abilities but um you know, I was just like, I just wanted to make it hard. I really did. You know, I was just like, yeah, it's going to crush people. Um, and then the weights. So, like, on the shotgun, you had to – initially, it was, like, I think 125 pounds or 135 pounds that you had to pull. And then the chain on it. So, the chain on this thing, I used this logging chain. Each segment weighs about 50 pounds. And I had three segments hooked together. So, what I ended up doing there, they were like, dude, you got to make that lighter. Like, just – and it really came down to a time factor. It's like people can do it, but you're going to have a stage that takes a, a dude, you know, two minutes to shoot. And that's like a, you know, a top level shooter. So now think about your lower level shooter. So in stage designs, you have to figure out, okay, this is, you know, your top level shooter is going to be able to shoot it in this, your mid level shoot it here. And then what you want to do is factor in like, okay, the top amount of time I want to allow for it is probably my bottom level shooter. So then really what you want to do is like, let's say a stage, you make the time out 180 seconds. It doesn't take a top level shooter 180 seconds to do it. That 180 seconds is where you're like, okay, my bottom level shooter, I want them to be able to complete the stage, but I can't let them go any further past this point because now I have to be able to reset, get my next shooter in there to allow us to be able to shoot this match in nine to 10 hours. Um, and, you know, and part of that is allowing for about, you know, I allow for about three hours of contingency time for, you know, weather range control shuts us down, you know, for whatever reason, you never know. 
Um, so yeah, that was kind of that stage. So I took that sled down from 135 pounds and I made it, you know, 45 pound sled, but then you had that 110 pound worth of chain you had to drag. So that kind of made it a nightmare. Um, and then actually Ben Blanton, the assistant master director, he argued with me for a while, like, Hey man, take a segment out, shorten it up, drop the weight. And I was like, I'll drop the weight. I'll shorten up the distance for the run. But I was like, that chain stays where it's at. <laughs> and, and it did. I was like, I'm not budget. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, you know, you just got, you got to find that balance of time and difficulty and then just kind of make sure it's fun for everyone. Yeah. Hey, Frank, uh, we're going to go ahead and skip the next question. If you want to just uh, continue with your question. Easy. Okay. So when you're running an event and you guys obviously put a lot of time and energy into this, you guys probably bounce some scenarios off each other. So what are some like contingencies that you plan for things not going necessarily the way that you wanted them to? And did any of them occur? Did you have to put any of those contingencies into effect? And do you consider them uh, any of them vital to like future iterations of the dusk and, and we'll start with you, Donna? Um, not so many on my side. Um, I'm not so good at leaving things to chance. Uh, and it's hard, especially being remote and not being able to see the lay of the land. I mean, a lot, of, it was easier when we were doing the match consecutive years, but I'm trying to remember, okay, what did we do in 2018? What did the range look like? I find out on the trailer that we used to do registration in that I'm counting on for my only source of AC is no more. Um, you know, <laughs> like uh, that was a struggle. Um, and got the AC fixed in that for you for next year. It actually works now. Of course it does. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but it was like those kind of things, you know, figuring out, um, you know, we've always made do. I mean, there was the one year that the, a little river formed in the middle of the range and like boxes of ammo are floating down the river. Um, but it's just making sure, okay, where we're going to do registration. We're going to do prize table. Um, rain always is a thing. Um, you know, where's lunch going to go? Um, you know, all those little details. And I mean, even things, you know, we're trying to get into the nitty gritty of like um, making sure you have enough toilet paper, making sure, you know, I think at one point we need to get some more spray paint, you know, there's just little things you, you can't even, it's impossible to anticipate everything, especially when there's been four years in between you, you're trying to remember, okay, what, it, what worked, what didn't work that long ago. I had had a baby since then. So my brain's already like complete mush. Um, luckily I keep decent records, but, um, you know, we look a lot and we keep records a lot. So you can see, go back and learn those historical lessons. Um, but you, no matter what you have to be prepared. And that's what this being a part of this has taught me like to fly by the seat of your pants and like make things work. Um, Jerry rig, you know, prize table setups or, or whatever has to be done. Um, so this were really, I mean, logistically, as far as, you know, lunch shirts, um, prize table, those are, you know, where we were going to host things, rain, things like that were most of the contingencies that, you know, on my end, I know JK had some more than that, but I also oh, well, oh, yeah. one thing was when I realized that I had no room in the car and had to get a U-Haul. And then that day I was going to leave. 
found out there were no U-Hauls within hundred miles. So, you know, there's, it's always something that comes up. That's the fun of it. Ish. Let's hear your side, JK. Yeah. Oh man. So one of the, being a match director for this match, one of the, the pains, and I shouldn't say it's a pain, but it, it is a pain is you're relying a lot on the army to provide everything uh, or, you know, the military, um, you know, and there's just so many factors. I mean, like transportation because privately owned vehicles aren't allowed on the range. So we have to provide all transportation. You know, we used range 65 and probably about 200 yards down you know, the road, range 62 alpha. There was another stage over there. So we had to provide transportation back and forth to those ranges um, and just everything like the tents for where the food was at. Uh, there's just so much stuff. So, you know, and even the contingencies I had, like, even the, like, like for instance, like vehicles, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to need no less than like eight vehicles, uh, vans. And I need at least like four trucks. I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'll just RFS six trucks and 12 vans. And, you know, you know, so I was incorporating it on an era of like two to three, you know, per, I got like four vans and I got two trucks. <laughs> so then, you know, like I'm scrambling, but even then, like I said before, you know, it's, it's one of the things you make things happen. Um, so I knew, you know, I reached out to like the HHC first sergeant, you know, and I was like, Hey man, I know we got two trucks over there. Can I use them? So, you know, I made stuff like that happen. Um, yeah. You know, one of the biggest things I'd say, one of the biggest things that makes you worry is, you know, at any other match, you know, you're the match director. So like you control the things that happen. Like, you know, if the range needs to shut down, you're like, Hey, shut that, shut that stage down. So this one go out. Well, being on a military installation, you're beholden to range control. Um, so, you know, there's some variables that just could happen where they could put you in a check fire for who knows long, you know, how long, for whatever reason. Um, you know, then there's the weather. Uh, obviously, you know, if it's raining, you know, high winds, Hey, we're shooting, but a second lightning comes in, you know, so part of stage designing and looking at time was like, okay, you know, I factored in like nine hours. That's, that's what I'll, you know, we'll start at eight. We'll be finished by five. And then the way I looked at it was like, you know, five or six was like, that gives us about three hours of play time in case, you know, weather hits range control. And then I was like, all right, well, if all else fails and, you know, we would use Sunday as a, as a makeup day, you know, if we had to. Um, and so none of those occurred, you know, as far as that goes, um, and really, I would say there was, like, honestly, like, once the match happened, like, I thought, like, the two days of the match would be some probably some of the most stressful uh, days. And it actually wasn't. It was the most relaxing and fun because I just got to watch around or walk around and I just got to watch, you know, guys have a good time and then, like, good friends of mine, like, laughing, carrying on. And luckily, you know, those big contingencies, like, range control shutting us down, weather and all that happened. Because uh, the weather did look kind of bad for a while. Like I was telling Donna, I was like, it does not look good. Like, we got thunder and lightning storms on the forecast for those two days. Um, so that was kind of like designing the stages, too. It was like, okay, give us three hours, play with that. And then Sunday, that didn't happen. Um, you know, the vehicle thing, I kind of already touched on that. That did happen, but, you know, figured it out. Um, and that kind of goes back to what we said before, what makes it success. And I think everybody wanting it to happen, like, tent stakes um you know i reached out to our support battalion and they gave me these giant wooden stakes and for those of you who've never been out to range 65 it's very hard packed like almost like concrete 
out there and no wood stake is going into that stuff. And, you know, so like they couldn't find any spy. I just reached out, you know, a lot of my buddies are like, you know, CSM just start majors and like, Hey, you know, 10 stakes. And then they were able to cough them up for me in a few hours. And so it's one of the things, I mean, the biggest contingencies I'd say was, was weather and range control. And luckily they didn't, they didn't happen. So I got to ask, uh, what are some of the key takeaways and lessons learned for next year? Donna? That is a good question, Matt. Um, you know, there's certain things that are always going to be constraints, like because of the level of approval involved, we don't, we're never going to get that official blessing till late in the game, but there's things we can do. Um, I mean, it's, now that I know, you know, JK's like on board, because I, I don't know if someone's as much as I could be ready and and do the match and all that, if there's no match director, you know, there's no, no match. Um, so at least knowing that someone's willing and able to do it next year, like I can start, you know, reaching out to people ahead of time because a lot of the thing, you know, some of these bigger companies do their budget budgets the year prior. Um, so by the time you're reaching out to them, it's as much as they want to, they just can't. Although, you know, we haven't, we've been fortunate enough that I can't even, each year I can't even imagine improving on the price of it, but somehow we do. Um, so any extra time we can get is great because when you have extra time budgeted in, that's when you have time to think of these little things, like the small details that could happen. And a lot of times the small details will turn into big issues. Um, man, lessons are, I don't know. It's one of those things where between myself and JK, you know, we're, we're having to do the work of like what several committees would be doing. And that's not complaining because it's almost the way it has to be with this match. Um, to keep, you know, this close control to keep it, it's so important and so meaningful to so many people that it's really precious. Um, and it's not something you, you know, willing to trust too many people, but um, time management's always a thing. Um, I mean, the, a lot of the uphill battles are overcome just by having, um, for me, the same match director to use like that, makes things so much easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, from my end, there was lesson learned as far as budget things and just, just logistically, like making sure sponsors for things that, you know, without having to put too much money up front of our own pockets and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, there's, I might have to get, get back to y'all on that, that question, but I I'm, I'm still, I think coming off of the match and I don't know if I've had a chance to really sit back and there's so there's of course things we can do better, but um, it's always a learning process. There's always going to be something that comes up and it's, yeah. JK. Oh man. I have so many lessons learned <laughs> from, <laughs> from like, the army side 
it is kind of like uh, Don was saying, like, you know, it's it's one of those precious things. A lot of people try to have input on this batch, um, like from the, the chain of command. I don't want to say chain, well, yeah, chain of command. Just everybody, you're just like, and that's why it takes a special person to be a match director is because, like, you have to be willing to tell people no. Like, because good idea fairies just run rampant. And you're like, no, 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 you're not doing that. And, you know, sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm like, I mean, if you might ask me, I really don't care. But, like, you know, I'm telling, like, a colonel or, like, you know, a command sergeant major. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Well, I think it'd be really good. At, like, I, that's not what we're doing. Like, you know, so, like, you have to have someone who's taking charge. But I would say the lessons learned on the Army side, like, so with that being said, you know, I requested, I looked forward, you know, I was like, okay, I need X amount of people. So I ended up getting, like, a, a 38, you know, person detail. Uh, to help with this and like some of it was drawing ammo drivers for the vehicles um you know individuals to help you know reset the stages because that was one of the biggest things i knew it was going to push the pace and like you know have it on there so you know, like oh yeah you know, I, you know more of this, it's too easy to like you know task org you know people and align them somewhere well trying to wrangle in 38 you know anywhere from privates to you know e5s was like really a pain <laughs> with everything else I had to deal with. So like in hindsight, like army side, I wish I would have, you know, put an action officer for each unit that those people came from. So then I only had like four people to deal with as opposed to 38. Uh, Cause getting different texts of I'm going to be late because of this or that. And Hey, you know, I'm swapping out with this person. It would just been a, been a lot better to have one, you know, a couple touch points instead of 38 touch points. Um, there was that piece. Um, and then really, I think that was the biggest lessons learned, like on the, just the army side. And then obviously looking at like building some of those contingencies. So last minute, I'm not looking for tent stakes, you know, looking at like vehicles, like I've already got a plan for next year for the vehicle thing from what I've you know, seen from this year and, and a few other things. I would say from a match director, what I learned, um, there was just so many things I could have done that would have made my life easier. Uh, like the, the stage boxes for the ROs. Um, you know, sitting there the night before the match, putting that together. And like me and my girlfriend left out there from like, I think it was like 1130, you know, and then by the time I got home, went to bed, like it was like one in the morning and then I was back up at 330, you know, four o'clock headed back out there again. Um, but just looking at a lot of that stuff that I could, like I could have those, I could have those stage boxes done months back. You know, all it was a pro timer, some staplers, some, you know, this and that, uh, some radios and chargers and stuff like that. Um, so really looking forward on that. Like there was like, you know, just little intricate pieces of it. Like the, the stage numbers for the, you know, signs, what had those put on there, obviously stage briefs, you know, cause I proofed the stages the day before the staff shoot. So I also had to like kind of print those up, you know, I want to say last minute, but you have to proof the stages, adjust the stage before you can really tie that up and stick to it. Cause then you're just doing double the work. Um, yeah, I think it's those little nuances that add those little fine details to the match. Um, you know, like, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. One of the things I dropped the ball on was like the stage names. And I even told Donna, this was like after I was like, you know what? I realized I never put the stage names on any of the stages. Like it was on like the paper, but it was never posted up, you know? So like you never came up and was like, oh, this is jacking steel. This is, you know, this is breaking free. This is, you know, breached away. Um, this is surprise cock bags. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, those little pieces like that. And then there was like backup, uh, score sheets, like, you know, the, 
Jason, you know, Byerly, he he's like, hey, you got the backup score sheets? And I was like, ah, you know, I could have done those so far back. Um, you know, so it's just little things like that that make my life easier as the match director. So I'm not running around like a chicken with my head cut off and getting two to three hours of sleep, um, you know, the day prior. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of good takeaways from that. Just leaning forward. You know, I was proactive throughout all this, but it was a large learning curve. So obviously I looked at some of those things where it's like, okay, I can do this, you know, streamline it, make it more efficient. So just, we want to look like pros. It's so much trial and <laughs> error. Like the, the shirts, the first year, we just kind of guessed on the number and, you know, had some left over. So this year we're like, okay, we'll get people to submit their size ahead of time and pre do it. And still like, it doesn't, you know, end up. So it's just each year, like it's always trial and error and figuring out constantly what you need to do better or different while still making it look like it went perfectly. Well, you guys, it, from a competitor's uh, perspective, it, it looked pretty flawless. Yeah. But, Super easy. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, schedule would have said different. <laughs> so, I, I, I have to ask this. And I know we, we already kind of talked about what makes this match so special, but I have to ask. What sets this match apart from all the other type of military memorial matches? Um, so very, you know, much like we said before, the exclusivity of it, you know, invite being invite only, um, which isn't like some, you know, cool kids club that, you know, it's just that we have these restraints and, you know, obviously the priority, this is for third group, um, you know, we're, we're trying to honor, um, you know, the group Mike came from. Um, so there's that aspect, the fact obviously that it's on post, uh, and we've had so many people say like, Oh, of course, if we were able to do this somewhere else, we've had a lot, you know, people offer like, Oh, I've got land, I've got this. We could do a lot more, We could, you know, there's no doubt about that, but this match is in every way is such a balancing act um to find that sweet spot between like like jk said like stage is too easy stage is too difficult finding that that perfect spot and you know we are both well aware that you will never please everyone but added to keep the match what it was always intended to be um you know requires we don't want to get too big we don't, we want to grow. We want to be able to reach more people, but we also don't want to get too big. And so there's always, um, you know, we talk about like, you want to find ways to make it easier next year. Like, oh, maybe we do a website. Uh, you know, we want to stay grassroots. So you kind of have to sacrifice like, yes, this could make our life easier, but there's the risk of getting away from, you know, what we intend to do. So you know, the grassroots, like so I keep using, you know, that word, but there's no better way to describe it. Um, this community effort. Um, it's very much a family vibe, um, family effort. And uh, again, just the mission of the match in itself. Um, to my knowledge, I don't know of any other matches with the goal, you know, summer to have fun, to challenge, to memorialize. Um, but to carry on this legacy of Mike and, and, and to continue you know, to get people involved in 
shooting, you know, in, in three guns specifically, but the shooting sports in general um, is a, the specific mission that we try to keep at the core while memorializing. But um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it, there's, if there's a five there and to be fair, you know, I've shot a lot of matches, but not nearly as many as, you know, the three of you. Um, so at least from my perspective, that's, you know, what makes it so different. JK. Man. So I could go on forever like this, but I'll keep it, you know, to as clear and concise as I can. So above all else, one of the things, and it hit me the, the, Really, really made me feel good, but it, you know, time back to like the emotional part of it was at the very end, um, you know, the staff shoot day, Nate, uh, Mike's son, you know, he shot that day. And um, really emotional moment because he looked at me and he was like, hey, man, like, great job. You know, I don't, you know, my dad wouldn't have wanted it to come back any other way. Um, and, you know, and I talked a lot with Nate you know, after that, you know, when he was coming out and I'm, I kind of said something about it earlier, you know, when he, he would tell me, he's like, man, there's a lot of fond memories out here, you know, of watching my dad and Eric just sit here and go back and forth talking shit to each other, you know, trying to shave off a half second here. Oh, I beat you, you know, by hundreds of a second here. And then just doing the same drills over and over, just trying to get better, but also having fun. So I think that's one of the aspects that makes it so special is like, it's a memorial match, but it's like, it's special to like Mike and his family. Cause that's where Mike spent a lot of time was out there at range 65 and Nate and like his family have memories out there. And that's where this match is happening. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it can't happen anywhere else. Cause that's my say, Oh, well you could do it at range 37, you know, imagine all this. Yeah. And you could make it awesome. But like, you know, when you have Nate, you know, sitting here telling you about these memories that he had here, like, you know, it brought a whole new meaning to the match to me, like getting to hear him, you know, say stuff like that. But I think that's one of the things that makes it special because, yeah, it's memorializing, you know, Mike and, you know, others like Tongue that have given it. But it's also like it's a very meaningful spot that was to that person you're memorializing um, and you're trying to keep that memory there. So I think that's one of the things that hands down makes it, you know, stand out from any other memorial match that's out there. Because how do you replicate that? Uh, you can't. Um and then I think the other thing, too, is, you know, it's ex exclusivity of the match that makes it special because civilians, a lot of civilians in the community hear about it, um, but they don't really know how to get into it or how they get invited. But it's special because, you know, it's it's meant for it truly memorializes what Mike wanted. And he wanted to expose, you know, guys to competitive shooting and get them into the sport. You know, he wanted to compete because he thought it was good to, you know, compete and made you better, but also because, you know, it, it made you better at your job and it made you more, you know, increased lethality and strove you to be better and have that mentality of like, you know, Hey, you know, I'm not the best, but I can be the best or I can be better. I can't improve. Um, so I think that's one of the things, man, just in the essence of like who it was, you know, that it's memorialized, which is Mike, where he worked at and you know, the meaning it has behind the family. Uh, I, you know, I don't think he really put that together at any other memorial match and, and get that. Oh, that's I I'd agree. Like whenever whenever you mentioned, uh, you know, Nate spending a lot of his time there, I can see how special that is. Mm -hmm. uh, a special moment is at the end of the when you were uh, doing the ceremony, uh, JK, 
and you brought Maggie up in front of everybody and you talked about how this was her birthday and, you know, it was like a whirlwind effect of like when you were announcing it to her saying, Hey, these are the dates. And, you know, that's, that's really what it makes, makes it so special, you know, from, from an outside perspective, uh, because there is so much emotion caught up into everything, you know, you're bringing a community of people to her and you're keeping a memory alive. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the other thing too, man, is, and I think that's what makes it so special to some of the, the civilians that come there and shoot because they're getting exposed to like this very tight knit community and they're learning about who this guy is, you know, Mike. And then like I guess there's a whole other breed a generation of green berets you know they're also learning about you know who mike was and what he stood for and what he wanted um so it's just that you know there's just so many factors that go into it man it, you know, i just I th- you know is what i think sets it apart yeah it's like teaching you you're introducing them to a culture and you're introducing them to a, a set of values that they haven't been exposed to everybody 100 um so as my final question and I'm going to add my own shout out to this at the end after you two, but are there any shout outs you, you two would like to give to anybody who's important to this? Um, for me, there's a lot of people who, um, well, the Dustin family for one, um, letting, you know, sometimes it's weird you know, talking about Mike and taking this role, not having ever met him, um, me not having ever served. Um, it feels kind of presumptuous, I guess, in a way. Um, so the fact that, you know, I've been entrusted to um, play the role that I do is just something I'm so thankful for, but, um, you know, the Duskin family for just letting me into their life and represent. I mean, there's no pressure. I'm becoming a spokes, you know, on behalf of, of their dad and their, you know, husband. And so that's a, a pretty crazy thing. And, you know, the big, big challenge this year was that the gap between 2018, and 2022. So, you know, what always happens once I get the go ahead, start calling sponsors every day, Five, you know, in, in between my full-time jobs, just getting on the phone and half the time was spent, oh, don't work there anymore. It's been like everyone had left, you know, there's new contacts. And so I got a lot of help from, I mean, there's too many people to even name. Like there were so many people who, um, who have since left the industry, but were like, oh, no problem. Let me look through my Rolex, see who I've got, um, people from all over, you know, lunchbox, one of the first people I met out North Carolina making calls. Um, God, there's so many individuals, um, that were just maybe couldn't even shoot the match. It's not like they had any skin in the game and we're just, Oh, I've got a buddy who knows this guy, who knows this guy who might want to support. So yeah. Um, all my neighbors, obviously, who I had putting, you know, I had like a little sweatshop going on down the street. And, um, you know, I was saying how my son owes a big thank you for kind of being without a mom for 
you know, a couple months, hopefully it doesn't hold that against me one day. Cause you know, this year will was de- deployed the whole, t- the whole time. So that was interesting. Um, but yeah, obviously JK for being my other, other half through all this, uh, you know, it, it, I think it was a good balance because as, as crazy he is about detail, I am way crazy. And I can go overboard and get too caught up in little details that don't matter. Um, and I think, you know, I hope for him, like some of the details I did bring up were relevant, important. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously sponsors is my big thing. Thank you to them who pretty much, you know, make, I don't make the phone calls, but they make it easy with their, their willingness to support. And to add to that, um, I am hoping in the next couple of weeks to get, we have some, you know, thank yous to still mail out to everyone. So that is still in the works, but yeah, it, Matt, obviously you're the role you played. I mean, everyone kind of played a small part, which is so awesome. And yeah. JK. Uh, you know, the, the Duskin family, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, I talked to Maggie quite a bit, um, you know, just kind of let me in and, um, you know, get to know her and, and, and just so that same thing with Nate, you know, Jake didn't make it out, but like Nate, you know, it was really cool. Like, I, you know, I talked about the conversations we have, but like, you know, Nate even pulled me aside and he was like, Hey, check this out. And so I didn't know this. He, he shoots with his, his dad's gun. Um, that he competed with and actually was, you know, the Mike, uh, the pistol Mike was carrying whenever, you know, he passed. Um, and, and Nate actually used it then. So I just, I got to know them a lot. Um, so I just want to give them a huge shout out because, you know, they're really a great family. Um, Donna, 100%, um, can't leave her out. She's right up there. You know, she was with me from the beginning of this. And I, I would have probably had no hair at this point without her. <laughs> I would have pulled it all out or it would have fell out. Um, you know, Zoo City Armory, those guys over there, it's like phenomenal, man. I mean, they, anything, I, I could ask them for anything and they would have get a, like Snappy did all the trophies, um, you know, for the match for the most part. Um, you know, Don and I kind of had like our one-offs that we did ourselves, but he handled all the, you know, trophies for the competitors. Um, you know, Jason was out there, like I said, countless hours, you know, and, and like I said, like I took ownership of the doing the stage designs, but man, he came out there and just mentored me, you know, and he, and I, like, honestly, I loved it. Cause he let me have enough. He was sitting and let me fall in the face. Cause I'm one of those guys I learned or people like I learned from making mistakes. Like you can tell me something all you want, but like, I need to like get my hands on it. I need to, I, I, I gained off of experience, which I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody does, but like, you can tell me something, but you know, I guess it's like when we're kids, like we don't listen to our parents and then they're just like, I told you so, but. You know, and Jason, you know, him and I are really good friends. So, like, he knew that. But, like, he mentored me through the whole process and was like, hey, man, you know, so I, the the knowledge that guy has when it comes to stage design, you know, thinking of how the match flow, um, you know, production value uh, was one of the big things I took away from. And I've, I've always heard him talk about that because we've gone to, you know, other places all around the country and shot, you know, always. And even his own matches, he talks about that. So, huge shout out to Zoo City Army and all those you know, there's much more of those guys that make that whole that whole place run. So huge shout out to them. Um, Hutch, man, I love him to death. Like, like helped me out a lot too. Like getting supplies, stuff like that. Uh, 
Dave Harris, all the ROs, um, you know, freaking sure, but the Griffin group, um, man, this list just goes on and on. Dave Harris, I think I already said him, um, freaking Jay Shoff, man, I really felt bad because he deserves a like just I know there's so many people. He was out there. There was a list of stuff I had because it needed to happen at the range. And um, you know, he went out, freaking found like the the pad for the fast ropes of guys they fell, you know, competitors they didn't break their necks. Um, a lot of you know, there was like some trees and stuff that need to be cut down. And like he was just out there. He's like, What do you need? What do you got? And was out there doing a lot of that stuff that, you know. It, it helped with making, you know, everything look good. Um, and, you know, uh, you know yard work and stuff, but they were procuring supplies. It took a lot off my plate. So, Jay Shaw. I think we just lost him. Oh. Oh, there you guys are. Where'd, uh, where'd you last hear me at? Uh, procuring uh, supplies. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Jay. Jay. Jay helped out a lot in that. Um, all the sponsors, I mean, that list is long. Um, you know, I can't thank them enough uh, for that. Um, oh, man, the the group command, third group command team for, you know, putting the pressure where it needed to be at and making it happen, you know, getting it approved. Um, you know, all the competitors, huge shout out to them for showing up you know, and be out there and supporting it because uh, they're what makes this thing keep going and that's what it's all for. Um, so, you know, yeah, you, uh, obviously, Matt, like, you know, Donna said, was helping out with the price there because I was sitting there actually contemplating, like, how can I get up there and grab it for, um, you know, and then, uh, man, I don't know, you know, I, I hate, because I know there's like some people I'm leaving off, but, Same. yeah, I mean, just the three gun <laughs> Yeah, like the three gun community as a whole, like thank you guys. Um because it just wouldn't have happened without you. Uh, so so yeah, I, other than <laughs> so so I got a, a list of shout outs that I'd like to do as well. Donna and JK, you are selfless individuals who gave a lot of time, sacrificed a lot, and put a lot on the line and you guys knocked it out of the park. Um, it was a wonderful experience, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Uh, Chris Hutchison, uh, I, I have to thank you. You let me stay at your house, uh, invited me in to be with your family. Um, you were an amazing friend, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with you in the future. Uh, third group. You guys were absolutely awesome. Um, it was great to hang around you guys, uh, the ones that were on my squad, and just, you know, be able to help and coach. Uh, it was truly a really great experience. Uh, Jay Schaff, he was, he, he was on my squad, uh, and I know he's gotten many mentions, and that's just a testament to his character. And him and I became even closer uh, while at that match, we met last last October um, at a matchup in West Virginia, and then we ran, you know we hung we ran into each other at Memorial, and then you know 
talked a lot at Battle for the South and like being on a squad with him again, it was it was really great. And we really solidified an, uh, a friendship. And this past weekend, we hung out at Three Man Three Gun and it was cool, you know. Um, Darren from Red Stitch Targets, I got to give a shout mm-hmm. out to him. He provided some targets, but he's a he's a solid individual, solid dude, good friend. Um, I got to say, I picked the speed box cooler up off the table. Yay. I've already had quite a bit of beers out of it. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's getting its use. Uh, Lunchbox and Dave Steinbeck from Maxim Defense. You guys are awesome. I've known you since I started shooting. And thank you for everything that you provided to the Duskin three gun match. Mm-hmm. And the last is the ROs. You guys knocked it out of the park with every call that you had to make, with the time on your feet that you spent, and just for being true professionals out there. Thank you. This match would not have happened without you. Um, and JK shares the same sentiments. Uh, you know, he was in tears at the end of the uh, <laughs> at the end of the match, and you guys just really killed it. So thank you for coming on here. Uh, Thank you for everything. Um, and uh, does anybody have any last things they'd like to mention or say? Thank you, Matt, for this opportunity. Um, nothing gets me more stoked than being it's just, of anything in my life, like something I'm so passionate about and thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about it because it's like one moment in time that you wish you could keep reliving over and over again. And um, so, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to kind of give a behind the scenes look. Absolutely. And we'll definitely be doing this again. Oh yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. I'd like to echo the I appreciate you having us on here, Matt. I know we talked uh, prior to the dusking happening. We were trying to, you know, do a podcast um, before it kicked off and I really wanted to do one, but it was just like a whirlwind. Don and I even talked about it. We were like, we just didn't, we didn't have time. You know, I think we did, but we could have just managed it a little bit better, which is one of the you know lessons learned for next year. But definitely look forward to, you know, next year. Um, you know, actually, Don and I have already started talking about it and brainstorming mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a good experience. And then I would going back to the shout outs. I, I can't cover everybody, but man, two guys that they showed up to range 65, um, totally volunteered, told me they didn't have to be there if they didn't want to because they're cadre that are coming on along the committee to help me out. But, um, you know, Madison Brady and Tyler Clausing, those dudes are some workhorses. And uh, they were out there every day. And I told them, I was like, hey, man, you know, it'd be like 1900 a bike. If you want to go home, go home. Because if you're waiting on, you know, whenever I'm leaving, you're going to be out here a hot minute. And they, those guys got families and stuff like that. Um, but, it's, you know, insurmountable the help that they provided helped out. And then um, Michelle Joy, uh, my girlfriend, she, uh, she helped out so much in so many different ways. I can't really, you know, not give her any credit to where it's at. I wanted to mention her, and I totally was drawing a blank on her name, but she was a huge help. Um, it was yeah. great to have her blessing to steal her guy for, you know, a couple months, and she didn't kill me, so. <laughs> hey, Duskin, husband and wife. <laughs> <laughs> we have the keychain to make it official. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both, both of you. Um Listeners, I hope you really enjoyed this. I uh, hope you have an opportunity to come out next year. Uh, really looking forward to 
seeing everything that occurs. Uh, have a great one.